this week's Real Podcast, I jumped on the wrong bus from Waterloo and turned up late for my meeting with Joey O'Hare. That's okay. She's a kindly soul, as you might have guessed if you ever saw her on MasterChef The Professionals. It's been quite a while since she came to prominence through that TV programme, but for those of us with an ear to the ground and a mind for fermentation, she's only gone from strength to strength. So, when one of the real kombucha team suggested that she might be able to get in touch with her for an interview, well, I jumped at the chance. And as you'll see from the interview, she's a kind of interviewee chef made in heaven. It's rare to find someone so passionate about what they do, who also has the confidence and the eloquence with which to spread the word so well. So, strap on your ear goggles, or simply read the interview on our website if you prefer, and join us as we bounce around subjects that include her beloved fermentation, kombucha, obviously, her food author recommendations, her ideas around veg-centric cooking, her involvement in the growing startup All Plants, and, of course, her favourite London veg-first restaurants. So you're quite well known for having a veg first approach to cooking and you're also known for being a big fan of fermentation yeah and i want to come to all of that but also i want to come to all plants which is what you're doing now Brilliant. but first of all i think it'd be a good idea to go right back to the first time that you can remember being amazed by the kitchen oh my gosh um god what a question weirdly i don't know if it's the kitchen but it's certainly a food memory i remember loving apples from a young age so I grew up in Hampshire which uh, we've actually just talked about mm. and there was a couple of apple trees in the garden um, and one of four kids and we used to use them for all sorts whether it was sort of apple finds where we were playing tag with the apples or we would then go and collect a bunch and sort of help peel and prep them down and they'd be mm. used for crumbles and things um, mm. you know throughout the autumn um, and, and throughout the winter um, or just literally we'd just be playing in the garden and get hungry and just grab grab an apple as a snack. Um, so and I still love apples to so say I pretty much do have an apple a day. So, was, was there anybody that influenced you, like a sort of key person who was like, oh, I want to be like that person? Yeah, I mean it's it's a bit of a cliche, but certainly my mother, who um, is a fantastic home cook. She's very very humble and says that she sort of learnt everything from me in her later years, but she didn't. <laughs> she um, she always was just. A real natural and kind of we were lucky to grow up on you know nothing fancy but just home-cooked food so there's no sort of um ready-made freezer food or whatever it was um yeah it was mum's sort of shepherd's pie or bolognese or whatever so um and beans and greens actually we had a veggie stuff as well um so dad occasionally would just uh dig up some sort of pretty gnarly cabbages <laughs> or something from the little veg batch and uh, enjoy those just kind of cooked up in a one sort of one pot wonder style mm. um so they but, were cooking out of the garden then Sorry. a little bit yeah it was, mm. it was very it's got a couple of apple trees in a small veg patch but mm. they kind of uh, made it go really far and we were lucky to always have those fresh flavors and that sort of fresh approach to uh, family cooking which i i remember loving from a young age and i certainly had a large appetite from a young age <laughs> so so i always enjoyed my food and uh, kind of learned to appreciate it first and foremost from my mother well how does it go then from some your in in the early days you're there with your mum and you've Mm -hmm. got your apples all around you Mm -hmm. it's a very Hampshire childhood yeah (laughs) (laughs) and then how does the young Joey start to become a chef that's a good question I like I said just a growing love of food and awareness of food and then um various reasons became increasingly picky in my late teens and my relationship with food actually became quite unhealthy and I became quite unwell Mm. um 
I became slightly fascinated and fixated with food whereby I, I didn't want to eat things that I hadn't cooked myself as sort of mm. um, sort of very horrible controlling reasons. Um, but very, very fortunately for me, that transpired into something more positive because in becoming so hands-on with cooking and my food, I, I learned to kind of fall back in love with it, as it were, mm. um, and then made the decision to go to cooking school um, rather than university initially mm. uh, after, after sixth form. Um, which I did. I went to Ballymaloo in Ireland, um, which was so fantastic. I mean, mm. I cannot sing its praises highly enough and kind of went from there. So when we, whenever you pick up a, a Joey O'Hare interview... Yes. And you find <laughs> oh God, I didn't know. All that. of those millions. <laughs> One of those two, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a Bally, Bally O'Hare? Ballymaloo. Ma- sorry, Ballymaloo. Your O'Hare. I'm O'Hare. Ballymaloo. It's some Irish heritage, yeah. There you go. So you pick up these interviews, you read about Ballymaloo, but I think a lot of people don't necessarily straight away, unless they're Mm. completely involved with food, they don't realise what that is. So can you explain that? Yes. So Ballymaloo is two things. It is a cooking school, but its sort of um, key difference and the sort of most wonderful thing about it is that it's a cooking school on a working biodynamic farm. So rather than teach you sort of how to make an omelette and how to make sauce, you go right back to the source of food and you kind of see it and appreciate it in a very holistic sense. So it gives you a strong appreciation for provenance, a strong appreciation for seasonality and cooking, you know, in harmony with the land and with nature. Um, and just really appreciating food, sort of root to shoot, farm to table and sort of zero waste as well. Mm-hmm. And a bit of hard work. So the, the students all have, <laughs> have uh, sort of each week you'll be on a different sort of chore shift or rotor. So it might be collecting the eggs or you know, um, going collecting all the herbs that are needed mm. by the cooking school that day or feeding the chickens. Mm. Or, um, so you, it's very, very hands-on. So how did you hear about that? Is it is it just something that's well known in that world? It's it's yeah, it's very renowned. Mm. I can't I couldn't cite when I first heard about it. I think I'd sort of always been aware of it. Mm. I wanted to uh, I've sort of felt proudly Irish, yeah, mm. very ignorant of my Irish heritage. <laughs> um, and I've always loved Ireland and, and really was excited to take the opportunity to spend some time there after sixth form. And so from Ballymaloo, mm-hmm. got it right that yes. time. <laughs> You went in straight into the kitchen then in, in a job? I did. I had... But you mentioned that you went back to university, didn't you? I, yeah, my, my sort of route through my... Uh, in fact, through all my 20s has been, <laughs> it's been an interesting one. I, immediately after Ballymaloo, I did six months in France. So they, there's an Irish chalet company that recruits chefs to, to take out to the Alps, mm. um, which was awesome. So it was a really good practice to kind of cement everything that you'd learnt over the three-month course and just kind of routinely cook for 16 people, sort of three courses a night, um, which was really very useful and formative. Mm. And then I knew I wanted to be a chef and sort of had the bug, so very <laughs> naively I printed out my CV, I'm using air quotes there, <laughs> which was basically my name and the fact that I had done Ballymaloo and six months' work, and a map of Mission Star restaurants uh, in London, which is where my parents were living at the time. And sort of, I was living at home, so I started with the closest, being quite a practical soul, and just went knocking on doors. And I was really lucky in that the first place that I showed up, um, which was uh, Roussillon in um, Pimlico, Chelsea area, there was a young American chick who was on her way out, and they hadn't found a replacement. So the chef was like, Well, can you start tomorrow? Um, which was great. And that was actually Alexis Gauthier, who is a big veg-centric and even well, veg-centric man and a vegan chef now as well right, so okay. I'm sure we can touch on him later okay absolutely I've, I found it quite interesting that you went back to university to do English and that you were interested in words yes I <laughs> I, I words. words I love I love words <laughs> I love language <laughs> I so so, that, so then I was in restaurants for a couple of years and Alexis actually encouraged me to get a degree in culinary arts which mm. you can do 
um, it was called full-time day release. So I did it while I was working full-time in kitchens, but you're in college one full day a week. Mm. So uh, that was a two-year program at Westminster Kingsway. So I, so I did that first. And then um, kind of in my mid-twenties, I so having worked for sort of seven years, so six years, um, yeah, I was just having a real tough time in kitchens. You know, it is notoriously hard, and, and, yeah. and I certainly found it so at times. Mm. And just sort of thought, I want to I keep my options open. I, I had hoped that my career would always be in food, but maybe um, maybe not literally at the grills or, you know, at the pans, but maybe mm. kind of in... I, I, I sort of dreamt of food writing or editing mm. or mm. kind of publishing um, and had always been very strong at English literature at school, loved mm. it, mm. and applied and was fortunate enough to get a place... Um, at, at Queen Mary University of London and did English literature there. Do you have any particular favourite food writers? I do. I love uh, Gil Mellor. I think he uh, his writing, number one, is just so sort of beautiful and it's such a pleasure to read, but he alludes to everything that's sort of beautiful about food beyond just flavour and the fact that it's nourishment. You know, mm. he talks about connection and community, culture, uh, landscape sustainability and you know his writing kind of bleeds into all these other areas that food permeates that are just so beautiful Mm. so obviously you kind of came to prominence to sort of more people I suppose through MasterChef the professionals Mm -hmm. that must seem like quite a long time ago do you know it really does it feels like a lifetime ago it was Mm. in it was filmed in the summer of 2015 Mm. um, and then it aired in the winter but yeah ages ago what did it do for your career uh first of all it was so much fun (laughs) Completely terrifying, um, and probably took a couple of years off my life in terms of stress. <laughs> <laughs> but it was so fun, and I was lucky that the sort of intake that we had in that year was just such an awesome group of, I want to say guys and girls, but I actually didn't, I sort of didn't um, meet another girl in my sort of route through the competition, so I only mm-hmm. met male chefs, so I'm not trying to be sexist there. But such a lovely group of guys. Um, and we sort of all stayed in friends and supported each other on social media and got together for sort of charitable events and mm. cook-ups and things like that. Um, personally, though, what it gave me was a huge whack of confidence that I was really lacking previously. And the fact that I sort of was able to, to keep up and make it through to the final 12 um, for someone who had spent a lot of time as a private chef, you know, yeah. as well as a chef in a restaurant in, my, in, in the first part of my career, um, was really helpful. Both of us keep saying we were talking about this earlier. We had had a chat before we put the recording on. We had a coffee. Yeah. yeah, Very briefly, we we touched on um, Matt Campbell, who is a big friend of our brand, like the Real Kombucha brand, because he he helped, you know, introduced us to a lot of people. And he was a a fascinating chef. He Mm -hmm. was a, you know, sort of amazingly into his fermentation. But there's there's similarities there, aren't there? Because you've, that's Mm -hmm. something that you're known for as well. And were you the year, two years before him? I think I was two years before Matt, yeah. yeah. Um, well, firstly, that's a huge compliment. Thank you. Matt was a completely extraordinary chef and mm. um, an amazing guy. I never had the pleasure to meet him in person, sadly. We sort of supported each other on social media and sort of had one of those very odd 21st century friendships where you message lots and mm. you, you sort of feel like you're up to date with each other's lives because you see so much about what the other one's doing. Yeah. But we uh, but we didn't meet in real life, which is a huge shame. Mm. Um, but yes, much like Matt, who was a real innovator in vegan food, I, I wouldn't kind of um, say that I'm anywhere near his level, but I love to kind of take vegan cooking into that more elevated space where it's really quite culinary and it's it's you know celebrated as a just as much as a sort of 
art and a, there's finesse to it. Uh, you know, it's not it, it's not sort of a, a, a secondary choice for mm. sort of uh, culinary delights. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the, the one thing that I, I'll let you go back to that thought. Sure. What, the, the other thing that sort of strikes me as uh, having a similarity is that he was also a private chef beforehand. So he came from that background, yes. that route too. Um, which is, like anything, that's good and bad. But I think there's loads of great um, benefits to being a private chef. You know, you yeah. have to take... Well, number one, you have full creative responsibility, hmm. which can be really uh, empowering and, and forces you to kind of, um, yeah, just kind of keep innovating and, and, and think creatively. And, um, you know, you're not, you can't rely on anyone else for sort of ideas or direction necessarily. Um, and it forces you to a little, little bit of everything. So arguably there's a risk you're sort of a jack of all trades rather than a specialist chef. Um, but I I think you... Yeah, I, I don't I don't think that's the case. And even if it is a little bit, I don't think that's a bad thing. I think it's brilliant to be able to stand up proudly and have cooked everything from, you know, the canapes to the petty fours is pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. In, in the music industry, mm. they talk about cutting your teeth. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I suppose it's, it's the same as sort of um, serving an apprenticeship, mm-hmm. being able to do all the things. Yes. Is, is hugely important. So. Yeah, I really, um, I, I certainly think so. I, I feel very grateful for my experience in both restaurants and private homes because mm. for me, what I gained from, from restaurants and particularly sort of uh, Michelin star places like Roussillon was um, that sort of precision and that sort of best kitchen practice where you're held to very high standards and you have to work, you know, clean and smart and efficient yeah. um, and you, you're part of a brigade so there's a the whole teamwork there that is perhaps missing if you're solo or freelance. Um, and then it's more the sort of self-responsibility and the creative freedom that I love from the freelance side of things. So, yeah. I, so I'm super grateful for both. Yeah. Well, let's go back to the, to the point that we were making before that we were talking about. You know, we, we briefly touched on, on, on that similarity between Matt mm-hmm. Campbell mm-hmm. and your interests in fermentation. You talk very eloquently about uh, fermentation and passionately. <laughs> yeah, I can see you because shrinking. I, I, <laughs> embarrassingly, I talk about little else. Right. So. <laughs> um, you you coined the phrase veg centric earlier. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So it's a word I've used to describe how I cook. So pretty much since MasterChef. Because mm. um, you're not vegan yourself, are you? No, I'm. I'm sort of may as well be. Um, I I love a plant based diet. It's one that really suits me. I respect it for the environmental conscientiousness that it has, um, and it's sort of healthful nature. Um, but no, I I am a chef and a massive foodie, and if I go out to different restaurants and it's you know as a treat not the whole time but you know once a month or once a for a celebration if it's a chef that I am really interested in and really respect and I can see that there's great provenance and they're sort of supporting what seem to be very kind of um responsible farms and farming practices then I would happily enjoy and appreciate a little bit of animal protein from time to time Mm. but that is very few and far between so that's why I say veg-centric because it's not advocating full vegetarianism or full veganism it's prioritizing seasonal veg and putting you know that at the center of the diet for sustainability reasons um and then if one chooses you know opting for animal protein in moderation and that's very much on the periphery of the diet Mm. and i think it's i I hope it's it's quite an inclusive one that's sort of a label that's not quite a label because to me it's the most sustainable and healthful diet for all of us so i think i would argue you can be a veg-centric vegan Mm. um if you're prioritizing seasonal veg and british Mm. seasonal veg in your diet you know because let's not forget you know white bread and margarine sandwiches could be a vegan diet and that's not healthy <laughs> for anyone yeah, yeah. but if you're putting seasonal plants at the center that's fantastic for you and the planet yeah um i think a vegetarian can be veg-centric and i think an omnivore can be veg-centric yeah okay 
You mentioned before that you have been using that veg-centric mm-hmm. term and style ever since you mm-hmm. were on MasterChef. Yes. So were you were you um, interested in the plant-based thing beforehand? I know you talked about apples and growing yeah. at home <laughs> and stuff before. But I, I've always loved veggies, but no, I must be honest. I Around the time of MasterChef, I had started reading... Um, some books by the American food writer Michael Pollan, okay. who's sort of a food uh, journalist. Um, and I find his work so sensible and so inspiring. I think he makes more sense than any of us on food. Mm. Um, he's a fascinating man. And I found that very, mm. that really sort of influenced my own thinking on food. Um, and Vegetrick is sort of his line of thinking repackaged right. slightly. Um, so I had a growing awareness for it um, around 2015. I'd always loved my veggies, and yeah, I think it was yeah. I can't I can't claim to have always been mm. that way inclined, mm. but it's just sort of a process that I found very interesting. And I've tried to sort of educate myself mm. about as it's gone along. Because after MasterChef, you got into you had your own pop up thing I with did. Hair, hair on the Hill, which and my USP was that it was a veg centric supper club. And that was your first, yeah. And I hope that that speaks to what I mentioned. It speaks to something I was mentioning earlier about veg-centric being inclusive yeah. rather than exclusive. So it's not about what we don't include in the diet. It's about one diet for all of us mm. that kind of ticks all the boxes and is very inclusive. So the way I structured menus was... Um, I always did croquettes at the beginning because who doesn't have something deep-fried and salty <laughs> to, to start a meal? But there was always uh, two croquettes with a lovely sauce and one would include uh, meat or fish and one would be uh, vegetarian. Um, and then there were some um, sort of sharing plates on the table and that was uh, always uh, one or two might have meat or fish like a riette or a pate with some sourdough and then there'd be fermented pickles and then there would always be a vegetarian option or sort of a, a grain-based salad as well mm. so the sharing course was sort of I, sort of air quotes again one menu for all mm. um, which made my job a lot easier in the kitchen and meant as a chef I could just focus on creating the best dishes I could rather than think shit you know who's vegetarian or how many pescatarians have I got or this person needs a different dish yeah. you know it was one menu for all so it was all sharing very communal and then the main course was always um plant-based so that it wasn't necessarily vegan but if I had any vegans in it I would never kind of rely on cheese or eggs to be the bulk the center point of that meal at all mm. so celebrating uh plants at the center of the main course and at the center of the meal um and then there was a pre-dessert and a pudding so yeah a veg-centric menu which people seem to really enjoy. And I like the communal aspect of it where in such a sort of um, open and sharing forum, um, like a supper club, it didn't need to be that a sort of vegan dish was the poor man's option or you felt strange because you had to have the vegetarian main course. Mm. It was just very inclusive. Mm. Had you noticed at that point that people were were moving towards that sort of thing? Or Mm -hmm. are you you just sort of happily surprised that everybody seems to have gone the way that you've been going? (laughs) No, people were. So I, yeah... um, it was very much part of a sort of rising tide. I think, you know, all of us now, we talk about, you know, eating more plants in the diet. And I do think that started about three or four years ago. I feel like I'm, I'm about to sort of open the cage doors and let you run riot because you love talking about <laughs> fermentation. Yeah. But obviously, being a representative here and a co-founder of Real Kombucha, mm-hmm. fermentation is our thing. Yes. So. Tell me about your interest in fermentation. Yeah. I guess what I'm interested in is where that came from. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, did it come out of that sort of interest in plant-based stuff or was it there before? And also, I'm, I'm fascinated by uh, the idea that fermentation is almost like a sort of, you know, it's part of a, a, an artist's palate mm-hmm. when you're talking about a chef. You, mm-hmm. you can do so much with that fermentation. So what does it bring you as a, as a chef? Go. Go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, such good questions. Oh, I'm excited. Um, so, uh, to answer the first half, where did it 
come from. Yeah. I think it it totally was um, simultaneous with my growing interest in a vegetarian diet. Mm. And that's because I think the two go hand in hand. So mm. I would go so far as to argue that the complex flavours of fermented foods and condiments are vegan cookings or vegetarian cookings closest ally. Um, I love a plant-based diet. I'm pretty much vegan myself and I would never um, be rude about plant-based cooking at all. Mm. But just by nature of having a smaller larder in terms of ingredients you can draw on, sure. it runs the risk of being less exciting than yeah. an omnivore starter, just yeah. numerically I'm speaking. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. And you've got lots of um, animal proteins do you know the Mayard reaction they do interesting things under heat pressure you know they caramelize and very effortlessly for the chef give fantastic fantastic and complex flavors mm. which are harder to create in the plant kingdom not mm. impossible but harder mm. and that's where i think fermentation comes in to the, the plant-based chef's larder is that the beautiful um complexities of flavor that you that layer up over time yeah. in you know krauts kimchi misos um kefir that is so helpful for creating food that is completely exciting, that you're so looking forward to sitting down and eating. Mm. Um, and even just a little inclusion of a fermented product can just totally enhance a veg-centric dish. Give me a, give me an example. Ah, <laughs> well, basting anything with a bit of miso before you roast it is just, you know, super easy. Yeah. Um, I brew a lot of dairy kefir. That's the, pretty much the one thing that stops me almost being fully vegan it's sitting sitting right right there (laughs) bubbling away next to the water kefir um that has got such a savory tang i'm completely addicted to i think if you i use it in a lot of savory dressings so that just whizzed up with some fresh herbs makes sort of a you know creamy green sauce with far more sort of intensity and complexity than you could ever hope to achieve through a mayonnaise based sauce or through a even sort of a creme fraiche or a yogurt sauce it's sort of yogurt and creme the best of yogurt and creme fraiche you know uh dialed up to 10 um Mm. So that's an example of a really sort of simple f- fermented food hack that, mm. that sort of quickly injects a lot of complexity. Mm-hmm. I suppose the idea that you can cook with <laughs> ferment-based um, sauces and that mm-hmm. kind of thing suggests longevity or a sort of a, a long period of uh, gestation because you're dealing with something that is essentially slow cooking and mm-hmm. slow slow mm-hmm. creation. So is it a good idea for somebody just to have these things around the house bubbling away like you've got there or is it something that people can just buy in and throw into their foods and that sort of thing? I think if, if, if people don't have the time or the inclination you can totally buy it and there are a few, you know there's great kombucha brands now <laughs> of course there are. Thank you. Um, but you know you can get good kimchi that's unpasteurized so you've got you know the kind of lovely live bacteria the food feels very living um Mm. you can buy great quality miso you can um i mean i really think people should make their own kraut because a it's so much fun and b it is so easy and cheap (laughs) whereas when you buy it it, it's not cheap and um and it's and you lose out on the fun yeah yeah (laughs) um but so that's another example even just the byproducts so i'm big into zero waste as well so Mm. the byproduct of krauts and kimchi is that the brine is that sort of probiotic rich ferment liquor that's mm. sort of sitting in the jar that's i use that half the time instead of vinegar you know a few, few spoonfuls of that on my lunchbox um to take to work is brilliant you know it's got all the sort of acidity and zing and complexity that you could could wish for mm-hmm. you mentioned kombucha mm-hmm. have you cooked with it i i've used it in, i haven't cooked with it in the sense well as far as i understand bacteria if you know if you cook with it then you would be sort of killing yeah. not the flavor that still tastes yeah. delicious but the beneficial live bacteria yeah. um but no i've used it in things so going back to hair on the hill i um there was sort of a pre-dessert course that was always this stinky little vegan cheesecake and set in a sort of little glass um 
don't even know. I think they were actually tea light holders <laughs> that I bought for like 50 pence each and it ended up being the best sort of investment ever. I mean, the amount of times those guys got used was crazy. Um, anyway, it had a little greenish on top to offset the creamy base and it was always something quite zingy. And I had sort of overbrewed my kombucha, which as you know, tends at slightly vinegary, sort of, sort of almost into like a nice sort of shrub flavour. Yeah. Um, and I did like a kombucha shrub granita on top of the vegan cheesecake um, and they offset each other beautifully. So that's one example. And then, yeah, the salad dressings is a big one. Um, and yeah, not cooking, but but kind of using to enhance mm-hmm. plant-based cooking. I have great plans mm-hmm. to try to put stuff together. I have to admit, I'm not even slightly a cook or a yeah. chef or anything like that. So the great plans will first involve having to learn to be a cook or a chef. <laughs> or just really easy stuff, kombucha pops, popsicles I did in the summer. I mean, how is it, you know, you get those plastic moulds. Yeah, yeah. Freeze it down. Kombucha great. popsicles. And yeah. you can stick some fruit in it. Um, or just, you know, maybe a, if you want to make it a bit sweeter, because obviously you lose sweetness when you freeze. So a dash of elderflower cordial. And you've got a, you've got a dry dragon. Dry dragon would be... Say that again. Dry dragon. That's one of your flavours, no? <laughs> it is. <laughs> I, didn't, I don't know why I had such an issue there. That with a bit of elderflower would be stunning in a popsicle, I think. Cool. Well, you heard it here first. Yeah. Joey O'Hare's kombucha that- popsicles. <laughs> <laughs> You can have that as a bit of NPD there for you. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Hair on the Hill, what happened to Hair on the Hill? It just sort of naturally ran its course. So right. I, I, it was super hard work. I was cooking from here. So right. um, <laughs> from this tiny little bricks and kitchen mm. and renting a friend's food photography studio in Clapham. So the venue was stunning. In fact, I'm humble enough to admit that's probably the best thing about it. It was just so cool. <laughs> um, so I had all these beautiful props and styling and like gorgeous lighting. Um, and yeah, I just absolutely loved it. And I'm so proud of sort of what we were able to achieve. And I say we, because they sort of built up a sort of band of like merry helpers and it was so much a kind of collaborative sort of team effort. And some of those people have become sort of like complete best friends to this day. So yes, we had a ball and, and really just, um, really enjoyed it and it was so fulfilling. Um, and we're sort of taking on other bits and bobs of freelance work and some recipe writing for different plant-based brands. Um, and just, yeah, I think it had naturally... I sort of got everything that I had hoped to achieve out of it. Um, I wasn't ready to sort of make the leap from sort of semi-permanent supper club to real bricks and mortar restaurant. No, I just sort of wasn't. That was next level scary. And I have so much respect for the people who do that because I think that is Is that something you'd like to do one day? Um, Yes and no. I think yes in the sense that you always sort of fantasise about it. But no in terms of practically no. I don't think that's my my course. It is... Mm so much hard work and like I said I have just the crazy levels of respect for the, for the chefs and restaurateurs who kind of turn their hand to it take a risk and make it happen because I sort of have had some experience in that and being responsible for the management of um, a restaurant or cafe site in this case and it is it is backbreaking stuff yeah so yeah. so but with your love of words then surely it's cookbooks right <laughs> Uh, I would love, yeah, I'm not ashamed to say that that is absolutely the dream. Yeah. Um, whether that's kind of on my own way into the future or th- with All Plants, who I'm sure will come on to, who mm. I, I work with at the moment, mm. and mm. I know they're keen to, you know, that's very much on our on our radar as a, as a brand. Um, yeah. yeah, I would love to kind of um, work on a cookbook for sure. Yeah. I mean, in the meantime, I blog a bit on my personal website, Food With Time. Yeah. Um, and sort of share certainly fermented recipes yeah. about fermentation and big seasonal salads. And well, you did of... one for us recently. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Thank you very much You're for welcome. that. <laughs> um, yeah, seasonal one-pot wonders, you know, kind of very accessible, but I hope interesting and exciting cooking. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I blog about it there, but it would, it would be wonderful to, to write a book. Yeah. 
Well, that does bring us very neatly onto all plants. Yes. Tell me about all plants, because it's quite an interesting thing, isn't it? All plants is awesome. Um, it is, in a nutshell, it is a uh, sort of a vegan foodie startup. Um, although I don't think startup does it justice. It's, it's smashing it. It's, it's such an amazing and inspiring company. Hmm. Founded by two very cool brothers. Um, hmm. One comes from a foodie FMCG background. Mm-hmm. Um, one, I think, from a consultancy background. So they have a wicked um, complementary skill set. Uh, they've built up a team of... I think we're about 30 in the office and about oh, 50 yeah. in the kitchens. So I'm um, growing quickly. 50 and, in the kitchens? Yeah, so we have, it's That's intense. That's not a startup. Yeah, no, it's not, I <laughs> know. Um, it's impressive what our outputs are. We've had mm. a fun, we've had a fun veganuary. That's mm. for sure. Mm. <laughs> with lots of people sort of taking up the pledge and, and signing up. Um, and we make really delicious and exciting plant-based convenience food. Mm. So it's a direct-to-consumer, which is awesome. So it's a subscription-based model. Um, customers order in boxes of six, whether that's single-serve meals or double-serves, if it's you and a partner or a flatmate. Mm-hmm. And you can sort of choose the regularity with which you receive your delicious suppers. Right, OK. So what would be the difference between that and something like HelloFresh? So there are a few models like HelloFresh where mm. you get the ingredients and then you cook it at home. Yeah. Whereas this is um, ultra convenience. So you can microwave the meals or um, oven and cook them. Yeah. Um, and it's all completely done for you. So it's... it's um, a really kind of planet forward company so i think pretty much carbon neutral all the packaging is uh, recycled or recyclable um over 40 percent of our customers return insulated boxes oh. which is really nice so they get so re- sort of actually reusing is better than recycling because mm. obviously you're producing less new stuff mm. um so we reuse all the packaging the guys have gone through every like the, the sort of attention to detail in terms of our sort of sustainable credentials are just so inspiring mm. um so yeah, I totally recommend people checking it out. And what do you do? What do I do? <laughs> yeah. You've yeah. just sold it. Yeah, sold what do you do? So I am senior development chef, um, which is a, a, a great role I joined. I started in November, and I look after some EPD, so existing product development. So just uh, looking across our range, you know, how we can really kind of drive culinary excellence in everything that we do, and if there's any micro refinements. But to be honest, the range is so strong at the moment. Um, very little <laughs> so you just to... sort of sit there yeah i sit there it's great <laughs> um and then uh, npd so new product development mm. so um listening to customer feedback you know mm. what areas they really want to see dishes in whether it's comfort food or mm. kind of really adventurous sort of street food style dishes mm. um and we have a small team and we kind of ideate around those briefs um and yeah and take dishes it's a really interesting process taking it's very easy to make something delicious at a domestic scale, but then managing that process through, you know, up to a large scale cook by the the, the kitchen team is um, is is great fun. And mm. there's so many challenges that you wouldn't even think. But when you scale up a recipe, it is never just straight maths. You mm. don't just be like, oh, let's increase it by, you know, 200 or whatever, because garlic will do one thing. Ginger will do one thing. Salt course, will do yeah. one thing. And so you really it's almost like you puppeteer and you sort of, you know dangle all those strings and look after all those ingredients throughout the scaling process it's an interesting thing i think that i mean we find that with kombucha mm-hmm. as well i think a, a lot of people think that they make the assumption that if you can brew a you know four liter kiln mm-hmm. jar of kombucha mm-hmm. you can do it in a 400 liter <laughs> no. because of maths no but maths. actually science gets in the way science gets in the way uh, all sorts of things get in the way um a big one for it so maybe it's the same actually because it's not just ingredients with kombucha but it's the sort of methodology as well so 
even just the amount of negative space you might have in a fermentation vessel will dictate the rate at which it ferments. So you can't even say, you know, it'll ferment for a week as, as normal. Mm. And then you guys have the added variables of temperature and daylight and all sorts. Yeah. So there's always so many things at play and it's never a simple equation. I wish it were, but it's not. Actually, mm. I don't wish it. I don't, I don't wish that because it's quite fun. Somebody said to me the other day something that I thought was quite interesting. And they said the great thing about vegan, being vegan... Um, is that you become mindful in everything that you do in the kitchen because you have to think about what, as much as you've just said, you mm. have to think about what you've left out sure. and what you've got to put in the place of it and that yes. sort of thing. So you have to become thoughtful about what you're doing rather than just bang, 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 you know, pulling stuff out of a freezer or whatever. Exactly. Well, mindful, I think, in two respects. One, mindful as in <laughs> vegan cooking makes you work a little harder as a cook because, you know, I was talking about Mayo reaction and animal protein. You know, you put a steak in the pan, it will be, if that's your jam, that will be delicious, you know, yeah. um, because of the way it caramelizes. Whereas veggies aren't necessarily going to give you that complexity yeah. straight away. So yeah. you've got to th- you've got to be mindful. You've got to think, how am I going to inject kind of texture and umami and depth and mm. you know different um, maybe different temperatures, like a nice cooling sauce on a warm curry, or mm. you know, you've got to be creative and playful to create something super exciting so you're mindful in that respect but I think just because you are making a decision that is very sort of you know planet forward you that bleeds into all that you do so you might opt for things that aren't you know packaged in tons of plastic and you might be thinking more about implementing sort of zero waste policies in your kitchen so using all of the veg you know not just sort of hacking off the top of the tail and throwing it in the bin Mm. I think it naturally kind of draws out other more mindful uh, behaviors in the kitchen which is mm. which is a great thing all plants is that is it london specific do you have to be in london or no is that everywhere? no not at all it's mm. uk wide oh, so right. yeah it's fantastic it's um you can get it anywhere mm. um and you just log on to www.allplants.com <laughs> very good um yes and i think we are running a cool campaign at the moment where you can nominate a friend and you both get 20 pounds off and we plant a tree um yeah oh that's great yeah so it's there's lots going on Cool. Lots of reasons to sign up. But just to bring it back to London a little bit, because mm-hmm. that is where we are. Yes. I'm interested in the idea that, you know, um, recently we there was, a, there was a report that said that Bristol is the most vegan thinking city mm-hmm. in the world. And I went to Bristol in the last podcast and talked to people about that. And yes. some thought so and some thought not. But I think there's no doubt that London has such a wide range of uh, plant plant-based and plant-first options now in terms of uh, eating out yes it does uh, and it's rocketed from from you know just a few years ago mm-hmm. so you know the idea that being vegan was is a, is a struggle is mm-hmm. is absolutely not the case anymore no we're very lucky if you are going to go out uh no let's cut the question shorter <laughs> where are the three best uh, plant-based restaurants for you at the moment oh Okay, good question. Um, two immediately spring to mind, and I like them because they're so different. Yeah. So one is super fancy, Michelin star, crazy special occasion, um, which is Gautier in Soho, which mm-hmm. is going back to my first, uh, the first head chef I ever worked for, Alexis Gautier, um, who's really pushed vegan cooking into that, that haute cuisine. You know, he's, mm-hmm. he's a Frenchman, so I don't mind using that, yeah. that phrase. Um, you know, he has a whole vegan tasting menu with wine pairings, and it's just, it's sort of proper kind of... Um, just yeah, stunning, stunning cookery. Um, in, and it, it's nice to see that 
challenging the kind of fine dining space as well yeah there are a few other chefs doing it which is wicked but i i think alexis is doing it brilliantly yeah. so that's somewhere that's really exciting do you um, spend a lot of time there think no i don't <laughs> i did go um oh my god i want to say a couple of months ago it was probably nearly a year ago now hmm. it's so nice he still sort of you know recognizes you know we say a big hello and he's yeah. so sort of um, friendly and um, but no, I wish I could spend more time there. <laughs> um, another one, totally different end of the spectrum, but there is a new brand called Club Cultured, um, who are three lads who are fermenting their own tempeh here in the UK. And it's A, it's delicious tempeh, and B, it's uh, they do these wicked sort of club sandwiches and arancini balls, and it's just really highly flavoured like just awesome flavour street food mm. but they haven't taken it f- for me I'm a, I quite like being healthy they haven't taken it too far down the sort of vegan junk food route because we're seeing right. a lot of that at the moment which it totally has its place yeah. um, it's just not how I personally uh, you know enjoy eating but so so it's really yeah tempeh being a sort of um, the whole fermented soybean right that's kind of smashed into a a patty a patty mm. rather not a patty um so i suppose the closest thing in the club sandwich it would be a bit like the chicken breast and right. texturally it's not too far away mm. where are they based so they're so i think that they're a pop-up so they move around to different street feasts oh, and markets okay. and, and they appeared at vegan nights recently which was great mm. so i have um yeah I, I have a lot of respect for what they're doing i think mm. they're smashing it and mm. i think their food is delicious mm. and then thirdly i would probably say uh, there's a new restaurant on mayor street called plant hub Mm. which i respect because it's not just a cafe it's like a culinary academy and they they have a lot they have a good event schedule so there's you know life drawing classes with vegetables and you know naked models (laughs) and there's cooking courses and there's um they just have lots going on that sort of it's spreading the sort of vegan message beyond just you know, vegan food on a plate, yeah. kind of what that means more broadly, yeah. um, which I think is really cool. Great. So yeah, those are my three. Well, thank you very much for your time. No, thank you so much for having me. And if people want to um, to find out more about what you're doing... Yes, um, uh, Instagram probably is uh, best. So and I... I just say, I like your Instagram. I enjoy Joey's <laughs> Instagram, particularly for two reasons. One is that it's a kind of typical uh, sort of foodie kind of mm-hmm. Instagram thing but yeah. I like the interjection of the books oh thank you because yeah. it's uh, you know it gives you something to think about and it gives you a recommendation to awesome. go off and read stuff so thank I've got you. a couple of things on my reading list that, uh, from that oh thank you so much well I like it too because then people comment back saying oh that's great you'd really enjoy mm. blah blah mm. and so I get recommendations as well so it's a nice yeah. little space to share books I must do more of that actually but I only because I read a lot but I only save my best best books for, to recommend on Instagram um, one of which being eating animals, which has been very yeah. influential uh, on me of late. Um, so yeah, so Joey's Cooking is my mm. Instagram handle, mm. um, which is one word, and then my website is www.foodwithtime.com, and food with time being fermentation, obviously. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me.